Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, howdy. Hey, uh, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries in College Station. I just want to give a welcome to everyone at the Klein and Woodlands campuses this morning. It's so great to be here at Faithbridge. I love this church. It's a very meaningful place to me, so it's great to see you. Uh, Just as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help but think of the group of friends that God gave me in college that have played a really significant role in my life over the years. But as I thought about this group of guys that I lived with for those four years, I couldn't help but think of the prank wars that we had with each other. Like, for example, in none of this that I'm about to say, I'm not encouraging any of it. So, like, don't leave here and be like, you know what I learned at Faith Bridge? I learned that I should crush up fiber pills and put them in my friend's workout supplement to help his plumbing, stuff like that. I I think about that. Uh, I think about this time when uh, I was living with five guys in this apartment, and one of my closest friends, one of my roommates, was studying with this girl downstairs. And there was this romantic tension that had been building in their, like, studying relationship for a while to the point where they needed to talk it out. And so they went outside and they just started taking laps around the apartment complex. And so the other four guys in the apartment just went up to the second story and looked out the window and watched the whole thing unfold. And we figured we had helped the mood along, so we opened up the windows and put stereo speakers into the windows and just started blasting the wedding march because we assumed (laughs) that's where they're headed. Turns out my roommate was actually getting the friend talk and so we misread the situation. (laughs) It was not very helpful. But we were very good friends to each other, very helpful people. But beyond the prank wars, I just think about the fact that these are the men who have seen me through some of the the most significant moments of my life. These were the guys that God used to help put my life back together when it was broken because of sin. These were the guys who stood next to me on my wedding day. These were the guys that I gathered together with when one of our friends had passed away in Iraq and we just gathered together, laughed together, and cried together. These are the men that I called when I was thinking about transitioning from Waco to College Station to lead breakaway. I think about what we find in Genesis chapter 2, when right from the beginning, God looks at Adam and he declares, it is not good for man to be alone. And I think a lot of times we take that statement and most naturally apply it to marriage. And I think that that's a good application. But I think what Jesus, uh, I think what God declares in Genesis chapter 2 doesn't just apply to marriage, I think it applies to all of life. Do you believe me when I tell you it is not good for you to be alone? It is not good for you to be alone. God has actually created you and wired you to need deep, meaningful relationships in your 
life. So I just want you to think about this right here at the beginning of the talk. You can close your eyes if you need to to help you just picture, but I want you to just think about this. Who in this world truly knows you? Who in this world truly knows you? With whom in this world are you fully known and fully loved? What I mean is who in this world, yeah, they, they know your strengths. And they know what you're good at and they can celebrate those things about your life. But then they've also seen behind the curtain. And they've seen a lot of things that other people haven't. And so they're well acquainted with your weaknesses and your sinful tendencies and your insecurities. With whom in this world are you fully known and fully loved? God has wired us to need deep meaningful relationships. This morning, we're going to step into the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to learn from the wisest person to ever walk on the face of the earth besides Jesus Christ. It's King Solomon. And what King Solomon is going to show us is he's going to show us why we need deep, meaningful relationships, and then he's going to show us why many of us will end up just settling for isolation. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And this morning, I'm going to do things a little out of order. What I want to do is I want to jump straight to the climax of the passage. And this, the, the climax of the passage is going to show us why we need deep, meaningful relationships. And then We're going to zoom out and look at all of the verses surrounding the climax, and and the surrounding verses are going to show us why many of us will end up settling for isolation. So here we go, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Let me read you verses 9 through 12. It says this. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So Solomon is just making the point. He's trying to be as clear as possible. Two are better than one. It's better to go through life in relationship than it is to go through life alone. And he gives these different pictures to kind of illustrate his point. He really gives pictures of two people that are on a journey together. So he says, you know what? If you're on a journey and you fall into a pit, I don't know when that would happen, but heaven forbid you fell into a pit. Man, it sure is nice if you have someone there to pull you out. And if you're on a journey and it's cold at night, it sure is nice to have someone to, to snuggle up with and share some body warmth, okay? What that means is cuddling is biblical. It is. That's what this passage is saying. Now, single men, don't let me catch you walking around saying, I'm just looking for someone to apply the word of God with, you know, two are better than one. But he says, man, it, it, it's a lot better to have someone in your life who can keep you warm than to, to, than to shiver alone. He says, if you're on a journey and you get jumped, it's nice if you have someone who has your back. His point is very clear. Two are better than one. 
It's better to go through life experiencing intimacy than it is to experience isolation. Two are better than one. Deep, meaningful relationships are better than going at this thing alone. And so what Solomon is really doing here is he's trying to give us a picture of what life can be if we will step into the type of life that we have actually been wired for. And so just think about it. Let's just walk back through the passage and let us show us, let's let it show us what is on the table for us when it comes to relationships. Again, verse 9, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Hopefully that's just stating the obvious. Two people can get a lot more accomplished than one person working alone. Let's apply that to the spiritual life. If Solomon is correct, then that means that you will experience far more traction and intimacy with the Lord if you do this Christian life in the context of community. I love that as you read the Bible, you see the Christian life referred to as a race. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I ran track and cross country when I was in high school. A high school cross country race was a 5K. It's 3.1 miles. The hands down, without a doubt, worst place to be is, is a mile and a half into the race running by yourself. I call it no man's land where the person ahead of you is too far to catch, the person behind you is just too far behind that you're not even thinking about them. You know what happens when you're running by yourself in the middle of a cross-country race and you're exhausted, a cramp is setting in? What happens is instead of looking forward, you begin to look at the ground and you begin to deal with, with pain and you begin to ask yourself, why did I choose cross-country in the first place? What am I really doing here right now? And you might not stop running, but you absolutely will stop racing. And your pace will slow down significantly. The best thing that can happen to you when, that, when you find yourself in no man's land, the best thing that could happen is that you slow down so much that one of your teammates catches up and practically blows past you saying, let's go. And when that happens, it unlocks these new reserve tanks of energy and you begin to race again, you begin to look up again, and you realize that you have a purpose, that you want to finish well. I tell you that, because if you're sitting here this morning and something in you wants to experience more traction with Jesus Christ, like if I were to just say, hey, are you where you want to be spiritually? I would imagine that the majority of people, if you actually spent time thinking about it, you might say no. There's more intimacy you want to experience. There's, there's more you want to know. There's, there's more passion to taste. And if that's you, let me just ask you, who are you racing with? Because God uses his people to challenge and encourage his people. Do you have a few men or a few women who are committed to running with you? Let me just tell you, man, if you want to experience some great traction with Jesus then you know what, get on the same reading plan as a friend. The great news is that technology allows us to be so connected. I mean, there are apps that allow you and a friend to read the same thing at the same time. You can see each other's progress and you can share your notes that you take with someone else and they can see those notes. 
Get on the same reading plan. Memorize a verse a week together and quiz each other on it. Challenge one another to share your faith and then share the story with each other. Have moments where you share God's stories, where you just say, let me tell you about how God showed up in my life this week. I promise you, if you want to get where you want to go spiritually, you will need other people racing alongside of you, encouraging you. That's why Solomon says two are better than one. He goes on and he says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Let me just ask you, how do you bounce back from times when you fall into sin? How do you bounce back from times where you feel like a failure as a parent? Where you just lose your cool with your kids? How do you bounce back from that? How do you bounce back from from just not being a very good husband or wife for a season of time? How do you bounce back from cutting corners at work? How do you bounce back from an affair? How do you bounce back from an addiction to pornography? Or how do you bounce back from abusing alcohol or prescription pills? How do you bounce back from the times when you fall into sin? It's not a matter of if you'll fall into sin. It's just a matter of when you do fall into sin. Do you have the right people in your life who can lift you back up? Because God uses his people to lift up his people. What you need to know is when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he made payment for all of your sins. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he conquered all of your sins, which means through faith in Jesus Christ, when you know Jesus Christ, you need to know his resurrection is God the Father's declaration that he has accepted Jesus' payment on your behalf. Your penalty has been paid. God looks at you and declares through the Apostle Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What this means is when you fall into sin, God's grace and forgiveness are available to you immediately. It is God's desire and intention that you get up and keep running immediately. The problem is sometimes when we fall, we feel unworthy to get back up and keep going. So what ends up happening is we stay down. And we drown in guilt, shame, and regret. See, we need a few men or a few women who refuse to let us miss out another day on the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We need a few men or a few women who will step into our lives when we fall, will lift us up, reaffirm God's love for us, and push us towards holiness. Do you have those men or women in your life? Solomon says two are better than one. Here's another reason why. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The reality is that life in this world can get very, very cold. It can be bitter cold sometimes because things happen. Divorce happens. Cancer happens. Unemployment happens. Financial issues happen. Children's get, children getting sick, that happens. Life can be extremely cold. And you know what our tendency is? When life is cold, we want to, we want to isolate ourselves and we want to shiver alone. 
What we need is a few men or a few women in our lives who refuse to let us shiver alone. See, God uses his people to warm up his people. Do you have a few men or a few women who love you enough that in the bitter cold times of life, they just say, man, I'm here to be a heater. I'm here to keep you warm. I'm here to make sure that you get out of bed in the morning. I'm here to make sure that you still eat. I'm here to make sure that you go to work. I'm here to make sure that you keep engaging with people. I'm here to make sure you get counseling and that you don't just stuff this thing. The tendency is that when we're hurting most, we sin the most. Man, I'm here to make sure that you don't make decisions now that are going to land you in guilt, shame, and regret in the future. See, God uses his people to warm up his people. And then Solomon says, two are better than one, because verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. He's just saying, man, you, you need a couple of men or women who will fight for you. Why? Because you have an enemy. And I just want to make sure that we are all on the same page about this. Do you understand that you have an enemy, that you have someone in this world who hates you? and spend significant amounts of time thinking about how to strategically ruin you and steal your joy and land you in brokenness. Solomon says, man, two are better than one because you don't have to fight alone. Do you have a few men or a few women in your life who have your back? Every single one of us needs a small army who were willing to go to battle for us. Now, just to be clear, Jesus Christ has already gone to battle for us. He's actually already conquered Satan, sin, and death. That has already happened. So Jesus doesn't need you to be strong because he's already been strong for you. And the great news is that when you know Jesus Christ, then you have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And the God of the universe actually enjoys unleashing his resurrection power into your life. But here's what you need to know. God often displays his power through his people. So do you have a few men or a few women in your life who are committed to fighting for you? A while back, I um, <clears throat> was on YouTube. I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube, but um, I watched in the same day, I watched two videos that have two totally different outcomes. The first video I watched was a clip from the TV show Planet Earth that came out, I think, in 2006. And if you've seen Planet Earth, you'll probably remember this scene, but there's this, there's this moment where uh, some, some wolves are tracking a herd of caribou. And you see thousands of caribou. <clears throat> and then the wolves begin to attack the herd. And what happens is the herd begins to split up into smaller groups. And there's this one baby calf that gets isolated from the herd. And what you see is this wolf tracking this, uh, this baby calf. And it's painful to watch because the pursuit 
you see an overhead shot of just the wolf slowly gaining ground to where he overtakes the calf, and it's game over. So I watched that video, and then I was talking to a guy I work with, and he said, man, <clears throat> have you ever seen the Battle of Kruger? And I was like, what is the Battle of Kruger? Well, apparently, at that moment in time, I wasn't one of the 78 million people who had seen the Battle of Kruger, and so clearly I was missing out on something. And man, it is fascinating. It's an eight-minute video. You should watch it when you get home today. But uh, if you don't have time to watch it there, I'm going to show you a clip of it here in just a second. But just to set it up so you know what's happening, there's basically a herd of water buffalo that come upon a pride of lions. And the lions attack the herd of water buffalo. They isolate a calf. And... Uh, and you watch and you think that these lions have just found their next meal because they take this calf down. But that's not where the video ends. Watch how things play out. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. She's going for him. She's going for him. She caught him. They're going to come and try and chase the lion, but I think they're too late. I think you're right. They're way too late now. Whoa. And that one's... Ooh. Ooh. Calf's still alive. It is? Yeah, it's trying to get away. It's standing up. It is. It's a stunning Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? Man, I watched that and it, it reminds me of 1 Peter 5 8. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So let me just ask you who are your water buffalo? <laughs> I love that. You see how they all come together as a as a pack, man, and they just stand behind those lions like, not today. This ends now. And, man, they love that calf enough to say, man, we're going to fight for you. We will fight for you. Do you have a few water buffalo in your life who have your back? Because here's the thing. You might have tons of friends but if no one knows about your pornography addiction, or if no one knows that you're manipulating your diet in an unhealthy way, or if no one knows that you are spending recklessly in diving down into, into depths of debt, then, man, you need to know that you are on a course that will only end in pain and brokenness. Do you have a few men or a few women in your life with whom you're fully known and fully loved. They've seen behind the curtain of your life. They're aware of that addiction or that unhealthy tendency or that insecurity. And they don't run from you. They actually press into you because they love you. See, often God displays his power through his people. This is why King Solomon says that two are better than one. 
Because God uses his people to challenge and encourage his people. God uses his people to lift up his people. God uses his people to warm up his people. And God displays his power through his people. Every single one of us has been wired to need deep, meaningful relationships. Let me show you now why many of us will hear this and still settle for isolation. See, we've just looked at the climax of the passage. Now let's zoom out to the surrounding verses and let me just show you why many of us settle for isolation. Look back at verse four. Look at what it says. It says, then I saw that all toil and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity in a striving after wind. That word envy is associated with the idea of competition. The reason that you will settle for isolation is because competition will kill closeness in your life. Pastor Andy Stanley is absolutely correct when he says that we are people who long for the er factor in our life. We need to, to know that we are strong er, pretty er, funny er, wealthy er, successful er <laughs> than the people around us. We need people around us to be nobodies so that we can feel like somebodies. So just think about it. If something in you is oddly at peace with your friend not getting that promotion or that raise, or if something in you is, it, it kind of, it, it makes you feel better about yourself. If you hear that your friend is having marital issues, it makes you feel better about your marriage because they're struggling. Isn't there something wrong with that? What's happening there is competition. You're comparing yourself to other people. And the fear is that if they're actually somebody, if they succeed, then that means you have failed. And that's just not true. If someone succeeds, you know what that means? It means that they've succeeded. It doesn't say anything about you. But our tendency is to believe that if they're successful, then we're failures. Competition kills closeness. Think about it. How can you be a good friend to someone if you are subtly grateful for their failures and disappointed by their victories? And how can someone be a good friend to you when all you will show them is your strengths? Because when you're in competition with other people, that's what you'll do. You'll conceal your weaknesses and you will promote your strengths. Competition kills closeness. Look back at verse 5. It says this, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's a really pleasant thought right here on Sunday morning. But Solomon goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. He, he talks about, he, he talks about, he, he's going to move all over the spectrum here, but he started with competition and now he zeroes in on someone who is lazy and apathetic. He pictures someone folding their hands. When do you fold your arms? Man, when you're sitting back in your couch 
or when you're laying in bed at night. That's when you fold your arms. And Solomon pictures this guy folding his arms, eating his own flesh. He's obviously exaggerating here, but what Solomon is picturing is a guy who has nothing because he does nothing. Here's a guy who has no drive. And because he has no drive, no ambition, no passion, he has no job. And he has no real relationships. All he has is himself. And because he has nothing, he turns inward and he begins to eat his own flesh. Solomon's point is that his isolation, driven by laziness and apathy, is destroying him. Let me just ask you, do you know this person? Maybe you are this person. You have nothing because you do nothing. No drive at all, no desire at all, no ambition at all, no intentionality at all. And so either you turn inward or you just become a mooch off of other people. You need to know that deep, meaningful relationships take selflessness, care, respect, and consideration. And all of these things take intentionality. Laziness and apathy are the enemy of intentionality. Look back at the text. Look at verses 7 and 8. says, again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling? And depriving myself of pleasure, this also is vanity in an unhappy business. Solomon paints a picture of a guy who values possessions over people. He pursues wealth instead of relationship. And it's interesting because the text is clear. He has no one in his life. All of his time, all of his energy, all of his affection is zeroed in on success. But the worst part about it is that he's never satisfied. There's always another ladder to climb. Once he reaches the top of one ladder, it's the beginning of a new ladder. So at some point, this guy is just going to die in the middle of a ladder. He's missing out on relationship because he's chosen wealth over relationship. He's valued possessions over people. Now, let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with being successful, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with being wealthy. Those can be gifts from God for you to steward for his glory. God's given some people in here an incredible drive and an incredible capacity to think in in ways that most of us can't think and to function in ways that most of us can't function. But let me just beg you, do not value wealth over relationship. Do not prioritize your success or possessions over people because in the end, I promise you, it won't be worth it. 
you'll find yourself on a deathbed looking at all the stuff you have, realizing you can't take it with you, and you'll be there on that deathbed with no one standing by you. And that's not a place you want to be. The passage finishes up in verses 13 through 16. Solomon says this, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice, for he went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom he had been born poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who is to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is a complicated story here that different commentators have different ideas or thoughts about what's going on. For me, the most important point in this little story is that there was an old king who no longer knew how to take advice. Isn't that what happens as we get older in life? As we get older, we believe that we know more and need less wisdom and insight from other people. It is hard to be around someone who thinks he or she, is, he or she always knows best. Do you realize that? It is hard to be around someone who thinks he, he or she always knows what is best. It's hard to be someone around someone who is always right and never wrong. It's hard to be around someone who cannot take feedback. It's hard to be around someone who refuses to be challenged. So let me just ask you, can, can people speak into your life? Can people give advice without you being defensive? Can people challenge you without getting a response where you act like you already know everything there is to know? It's, this is tough. This is something that I am consistently having to work on. But I'll tell you, if you cannot take advice, you will find yourself in isolation. See, these are the reasons that many of us have been wired to live in deep, meaningful relationships, but will settle for isolation, competition, laziness, and apathy, an insatiable desire for success, and an inability to take advice. God has wired you to need other people. And it goes all the way back to the garden where God looked at Adam, who was surrounded by animals. And God looked at that moment and said, even with all these animals, it's as if he is alone. And so he made Eve. God declared from the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. Do you have a few women or a few men in your life with whom you are fully known and fully loved? If not, my encouragement to you is to find some. It is so much better to go through life and experience the kind of relationships that God has made you for. This is what we have been made for. So if you want to step into a deeper place of intimacy with God, I assure you, you're going to need the people in your life to get there. And it all starts with you agreeing with King Solomon that two are better than one. Let's pray together.
And as I, before I pray, if you'll just with your eyes closed, if you'll just listen to my voice right now, I hope that you're hearing this morning that being loved is better than being lonely. Intimacy is better than isolation. But deep, meaningful relationships take intentionality. And so let me just ask you, what's your step? What step do you need to take this morning? to experience more of what God has created you to experience. I've asked that we don't sing a, a song after this message because what I don't want to do is I don't want to just act like we're just moving on to the next section of this service. What I want to ask you to do is before you even leave this room, process what needs to happen. Maybe you need to reach out to a friend. Maybe you need to shoot a text before you leave this room. Maybe you need to grab someone in the lobby and just say, I want what King Solomon is talking about. Two are better than one. What step will you take so that you can be fully known and fully loved? And I'll just, I'll end by saying this. Maybe you're here this morning. You've heard me talk about being fully known and fully loved by other people. But you have not yet realized what it's like to be fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe. Jesus Christ came. He died on a cross and rose from the dead to rescue you from your sin, but to bring you into a relationship with the God of the universe where he looks at you and calls you his son or his daughter. <clears throat> if you don't know him, then let this morning be that moment where you finally open up your life and give it to him. Lord Jesus, we need you. We love you. I pray for my friends here today. I pray that when I say amen in just a moment, I pray that they wouldn't just hit that door and forget everything we talked about. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hit that door and just keep walking in isolation as if we haven't been given a vision for something better. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Grow Group and Discipleship Director here at Faith Bridge, and we just heard a message on community from Timothy Atik. Um, but Timothy was not able to stay because of an obligation today, and so uh, I have with me today Pastor Dan, who is uh, wise in the things that we're going to be talking about today. So thank you, Dan, sure. for stepping in to help answer some of these questions. Happy um, to do it. Uh, TA's message today just really focusing on the importance of relationships mm -hmm. in our walk with Christ. Um, and one of the questions that came in, uh, was around when he was talking about accountability. Okay. Um, and the question uh, says that, you know, TA said something, do you have someone in your life who knows about your porn addiction or someone who knows about the debt or your diet or the things that you are in? And uh, this person said that I've been in accountability partnerships for sexual sin where it was just the same cycle. I would fail, I would text to let my accountability partner know in transparency, I'd get some encouragement, maybe a Bible verse. 
and then told my friend would pray for strength. And this helps for a while, but it was only temporary. And I never felt like I was making progress. So the question is, how do you do accountability well and effectively for long-term improvement? Well, that's a great question. And I would, uh, first of all, encourage this person by saying to them, you are by no means alone in this regard. Um, you know, accountability groups are, um, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say dangerous things because they can give us a false sense of, of either hope or progress. It's, it's easy to think, well, I'm in an accountability group, so it's all going to be good. But that's not necessarily the case. Uh, for one thing, uh, accountability groups are only as helpful as we are willing to be transparent. Uh, if, if we're not going to be totally forthcoming with those that we are in community with, then it's not going to work from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound like the case with this person. And so uh, in a situation like this where there is a recurring problem, I'm not going to say that this is necessarily an addiction, but it, it could be, mm -hmm. uh, there has to be more than accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, accountability by itself will never solve or address the problem. Mm -hmm. There have to be uh, behavior changes which are brought about through intentional steps. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've used them in my own life and I've seen them at work in other people's lives. And so I would encourage this person, if, if this really is uh, a, a significant enough issue that it's hindering their walk with Christ and their ability to to be whoever God's calling them to be, to look beyond an accountability group and to begin to look for a 12-step program, either uh, SA or uh, Celebrate Recovery, things of that nature, mm -hmm. to enhance and supplement accountability. Yeah. Um, so what if uh, maybe the, the sin, no, we'll just use one of mine, mine's pride. Okay. I fall into the sin of pride, which is not necessarily one that I can go to a 12 steps program for, but uh, with accountability, how long term do you see that work well, like in your life with your group? Well, I, I have seen certain issues in my life addressed uh, very satisfactorily through an accountability group. Mm -hmm. Just the knowledge that I was going to meet with those guys gave me the ability to say, no, I'm not going to do this. Or the accountability group went beyond mere accountability to actually offering me uh, help. You know, th these are some things that, that we've discovered that has helped us deal with this issue. Uh, they've pointed me in the right direction. And so there again, it's more than just accountability. It's mm -hmm. accountability plus something else. Yeah, and I see in the question where he talks about, um, or she talks about, um, that they uh, would fail, they would let their accountability partner know and walk from there. And I think one of the things uh, that has worked for me in accountability is the triggers that mm -hmm. might happen before I fail. Yeah. Uh, situations see that, them put, coming. that you see them coming. Yeah. And so uh, it's not necessarily that it's after, always after the fact that I've noticed that I've failed and now they're going to encourage me back. But along the way, 
I'm talking to them openly about oh, yeah. uh, things and they're pointing out to me, hey, situations like this, blind are spots, blind spots yeah. or uh, whatever, as we kind of walk along. So it's not always necessarily that it's reactive as much as it is walking along before. Yeah, proactive. Proactive yeah, I, in I, that as I well. I remember very well early in my walk with Christ, uh, I was fortunate to be in a group with two or three guys older, more mature than me, and certainly in the faith, and uh, struggling with an issue. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> One of the guys saying to me, wake up, Dan. You, you are putting yourself in that place over it. Just don't go there. Mm -hmm. I, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, I never considered the possibility. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a huge, huge benefit of being with people who uh, not only care about you, but have lived enough life to be able to say, don't think that's such a good idea. Yeah, that's yeah. good for you. Um, you know, there are, he asked today, he asked a question, do you have people who speak truth into your life? Do you have people? Um, and at FaithBridge, we want you to have people. Indeed. Uh, it's, it's one of the foundational parts of being in a small group is to have people around you. Um, so I would encourage people who are listening, if you don't, if you, you, if no is the answer to that question, then be very intentional, um, whether it's online or through a connect card or calling here and speaking to a grow group coordinator to, uh, get plugged in and begin developing some of these relationships. Yeah, there's, there's no reason not to mm -hmm. here. I, I can think of any number of churches where you really would be lost mm -hmm. for that kind of community. But at FaithBridge, as you say, that is a high priority for us and um, the ministry that you lead uh, in discipleship does a great job of addressing it so yeah get on the phone give a call that's awesome well thank you for your wisdom and sure. insights on accountability and thank you for joining us here for postscript thanks for joining us for postscript help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services learn more at faithbridge.org postscript